Welcome to episode 314 of Destination Linux. Destination Linux is a video podcast from the Tux Digital Network. And if you're new to the show, Destination Linux is a podcast that is perfect for all experience levels. Whether you're brand new to open source or a guru of sudo, this is the podcast for you. My name is Michael. I'm Jill. And I'm Ryan. And on this week's episode of Destination Linux, we're going to be discussing what makes Linux secure. Then we'll talk about flat packs getting their eviction papers in the Ubuntu flavors. Plus, we have our tips, tricks, and software picks. All of this and so much more coming up right now on Destination Linux. This week's feedback comes from Adam. And if you'd like to send your own feedback, you can go to tuxdigital.com contact to get in touch, or you can join our forum at forum.tuxdigital.com. We're also on Discord now, so if you wanna hang out with the community or just game with everyone and chat about Linux, all sorts of stuff, go to tuxdigital.com Discord. So Adam says, good morning, my name is Adam. I'm reaching out today after listening to my first episode of Destination Linux yesterday morning to provide some not harsh, definitely fun, and certainly constructive feedback. I promise the quotes that you just made, you roll your eyes, will make sense below. <laughs> How did he know? <laughs> <laughs> so very quickly, my background consists of moderate history of the in the IT world, about 20 years, everything from early work as a PC repair tech to most recent role managing in a national commercial fiber infrastructure has kept me engaged on many different levels. Uh, they went on to mention a lot of their extensive career, which is very impressive. And they go on to say that, I started dabbling in Linux 20, 2002, and I switched over to Fedora and Ubuntu as my primary clients, uh, client OS is at 2009. I don't have Microsoft in my mix anymore, and it feels good, man. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> it, uh, I, I've had that feeling too. It's fantastic. Uh, when I started listening yesterday morning, I was making an hour drive and was tired of the playlist Pandora was tossing my way. I hit the podcast button and typed Linux, and yours came up first. That's like good that. to know. Yes. <laughs> Look at that. It should. Number one. As, Number one. As it should. Yes. When I heard the intro explaining that it was for listeners of all levels, I winced. Uh, well, okay. We'll see where this goes. I have been doing this for a while, but I assume that your level of discussion would be far over my head. And while you did discuss some things that I'll admit I learned from, the content was handled in such a way that it made it very, very listenable and really informative. Fantastic. Uh, I understand some of the lingo, probably more than I should, but when you guys stopped and said, for those of you who aren't aware, this is referring to, that is just a solid experience. In fact, in a subsequent episode, another listener, he says, what's up, Easy Ice? Reference just that, and <laughs> Destination Linux makes this community feel warmer and more welcoming for everyone. Man. Aww. Adam's, man. I, I like, like Adam. this feedback, yeah. Adam it's is really nice. dope, like... Yeah. Big hugs, Adam. Yes. And also, I, I'm glad to hear that we, you know, you appreciate the fact that, you know, we, we put in the effort to do the all experience levels, no matter what. We do talk about some technical stuff. But we also try to keep it, you know, broken down as much as possible so that even if you're new to the, the community and new to the system, you can still get a benefit from it. So uh, it's really great to see that kind of feedback. Um, and he also goes on to say, I am inc incredibly impressed. Not that my opinion means much. It does. Wait, yeah. I disagree there. It mm -hmm. does mean much. But you guys are producing a great show and had something like this been available two decades ago to inform and welcome Linux enthusiasts of all levels. I can only imagine that the level of accomplishment we would have achieved as a community would have skyrocketed back then. I have only one comment for this. Uh, I feel like Ryan might be catching some unnecessary flack. Nah, nah it's fine. Man, you, you, Adam you, you is just, <laughs> that's my boy right there. I mean, like, you get, yeah. some yeah. of the flack you get is necessary. What do you mean? Aww. No, 
completely unnecessary. Adam <laughs> is speaking the truth. Okay, the disciple fair. of truth. That's Adam. It's going to be called from now on. The disciple of truth. Disciple of truth. The feedback read was in reference to a previous episode in which Ryan had some choice opinion about Vim, NeoVim, etc., versus like a GUI IDE, like VS Code or Sublime Text. Uh, this listener writing in mentioned that it was not meant to be harsh, and a slight side narrative began about the abuse that Ryan takes because of his opinionated nature of some it's items. It's true, though. It's true. Like, if there's <laughs> going to be a negative, e I think this might be the first positive email ever sent about me. It might, it I mean, might I don't be. know about ever, but Aww. in a while. I'm pretty sure it's ever. This is the first one ever that, like, this specifically about me, you know? Like, there's Maybe others specifically. that kind of mention in, okay, in passing, that, like, you know. That's but, fair because they do also go on to say, thank you, Ryan, specifically. Uh, thanks for holding strong on something like this. I'm with you. I like my bloated IDE. <laughs> yes. Let me have my laggy extensions. And he also says, I freaking love IntelliSense and autocomplete. I don't see Amen. him popping up and he's suggesting, hey, Adam, you should probably rethink this last one. <laughs> <laughs> and uh, I'm not trying to type in a Contra cheat code every time I want to save a file or navigate right? two lines down in some of the editors. <laughs> Contra cheat code. Up, up, I down, down, left, right, left, right, BA, select, start. I still got it after all these Perfect. years. Perfect. Pretty sure yep. that's it. Yeah. <laughs> I like I like this um, the contra cheat code thing. That's that was pretty funny. He says no, just no to that. I, I applaud you for even accepting the challenge of trying VM or NeoVim. You're a better nerd than I. Kudos. <laughs> then he says I'll, I'll climb down off my soapbox now. No, nah, you can stay on it all day long. <laughs> yeah. I can read your emails every week and be happy. Like, I need more of that. <laughs> in closing, thank you all. I sincerely appreciate the effort that you all put in. I'm sure I left out some aspect of admiration in this email that I've drafted in my mind, but I assure you it's there. Thank you for the information, the social warmth, and the facet that you're widening our community. If ever I can do anything for any of you, you have a permanent friend down south. That's Aww. awesome. What an amazing email. Like, thank you so much, Adam, number one, for someone finally taking my side. Finally. Finally, after all <laughs> these years of doing this show, uh, someone took my side in there. And and listen, I happen to agree with you on this bloated IDE thing because I have spent many, many days and hours in NeoVim, Vim, mm -hmm. Emacs, Doom Emacs and doing some of the coding that I do, which is typically in Python, nothing super fancy. I'm not a developer. So you got to keep that in mind too when we're talking about this kind of stuff. It's not like I spend all day developing code and things. You but made an me, AI product, dude. What are you talking about? <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. This is true. I did make Michael AI, which is one of the most advanced AIs in the world. You of can course. Check out there Chat GPT GitHub. is like weak in comparison. Totally weak. Yeah. And mine's open fully open source. Like you just go download it and edit it, do whatever you want with it. Um, yeah. The key is that uh, after playing with all of these IDEs, spending all of this time, Adam just nailed it perfectly. Like, yes, I can get NeoVim to do everything Sublime Text can do. After I spend a whole lot of time with settings and other things in, in setting it up. And as an i3 user, I get people who want to do that. Like I, it's the same thing with i3. You got to spend all this time setting things up and you make it perfect for your workflow. And if you're a full-time developer, so for the person who sent that challenge in, like I get you, I get what you're saying. I see why people like it. I have more respect for it. At the same time, I still want to use Sublime Text. Like it's just easier. Because while I can set all that stuff up, I could just install Sublime or VS Codium and have it all right there in a nice GUI for me. 
and I don't have to worry about bloat. Like I, I don't care. My systems are so OP. It's insane. Like they, <laughs> they really don't struggle at all with any of this stuff. So I did take the challenge. Completely appreciate NeoVim, Vim, Emacs, Emacs Doom, the extension community, all the work that goes into it. I think it's cool. Uh, but I'm still sticking with the bloated GUIs because it's just easier to get started. And I just don't code enough to make it worth spending all that time setting that type of stuff up. That's just me. I mean, yeah, I, I, I agree completely. That's the same experience I have. That's why I prefer Sublime Text because I'm not going to, I want to get into working on it. I don't want to go into like the configurations every time I set up a system or have to configure this thing. And also it's not like it's a simple, you have to find all the different plugins to make it do the things you want to do. And there's not like a single source to get these plugins. So it's kind of like you're, you're, you're digging for these different features and you get to do them one at a time and all that sort of stuff. And then I just install sublime and I'm done. Like, I like that better. <laughs> yeah. The only big difference I, I can see is with sublime. You can't play ASCII art video. Like you can with film. Okay, Jill, nobody told me that before. <laughs> now I'm changing. I'm completely changing. That's now all that I know you needed. Like, yeah, I mean, that's, that's all you needed big, to say, people. Yeah. Oh, there's oh. some amazing extensions out there. Like, don't yeah. get me wrong. Awesome. What the community's done is people have pre-setup. <laughs> now you try to steal a lot of their pre-setups as well for Vim and NeoVim and, and use that. And yeah. I could see it working. Like, there was no, I could do my code. I could do my thing. But then I'm trying to learn all these shortcuts. And I'm just like, why? Yeah. I just don't yeah. code enough <laughs> to make it worthwhile for me. But that doesn't mean you should just because I it's not for me doesn't mean you shouldn't use it. Like if you love it, by all means, like keep if loving you want to use a contra code, use a contra use code. a contra code. I, yeah, absolutely. <laughs> use a contra code. Yeah. Yes. Who am I to argue? I use I three. <laughs> and OMG, Adam, we are actually blushing inside, and our faces are blushing. Thank you so much for writing in and all your kind words that were so beautifully written. They really were. And honestly, it is the community of listeners like you, Adam, that skyrocket the Linux community and make our podcast family even better. And as for Ryan, I love his honesty and kindness in spirit. And this podcast wouldn't be so engaging, thought-provoking, and dynamic without him. What is happening Hugs. here? This is just to get, make sure I go to scale, right? It's to <laughs> yeah, make sure I show up at scale. You know, I'll be super nice so that I... I finally yeah. listen. It's I like how Jill like. though put. I love his honesty and kindness in spirit. So my spirit's yeah. kind, but not. I mean, it depends on what we're talking about. <laughs> in certain cases, that's a very you know, cleverly chosen sentence. There, kindness yeah. in it's, spirit. It's wonderfully worded because I think it's accurate, and also it depends if we're talking about app indicators or not. Yeah, true. <laughs> I'm not kind when Aww. that comes around. Good point, Adam. You made honestly like when we read this feedback, you made our week. Really appreciate it. Mm -hmm. Thank you. You know how you can make your week. By signing up for Linode, visit linode.com slash tux to get started. And for those that don't know, Linode has a lot of great stuff. You'll see why over a million developers trust Linode for their infrastructure. Linode provides solutions and services to accelerate innovation, and you can build everything yourself or use one of their one-click apps from their app marketplace, which has a plethora of options to deploy everything from Plesk and WordPress to Valheim and Minecraft servers. Plus, Linode even has VPN-friendly virtual servers, so you can create secure connections over the internet protecting you on public Wi-Fi, because if you're at a coffee shop, you should not be using their Wi-Fi. Or do going not to scale. That. Or going like, to a conference. It's not a great idea to do yeah. a public Wi-Fi unless you have a VPN. So you can set one up through, through Linode and keep your data private and guard yourself from malware and attacks from hackers. 
And if that wasn't enough, every plan with Linode gives you human-powered customer support. That's right, a human is involved in this, not just some automated system. So if you need help, someone will pick up the phone, respond to your email, or reply to you on social media 24-7, 365. So visit linode.com slash tux to create a free account. Plus, when you use that URL, you'll let them know that we sent you, which is, of course, good for us. But also, you get a 60-day, $100 free credit when you sign up for your account that way with linode.com slash tux. Again, go get started on Linode's awesome cloud platform by going to linode.com slash tux. So our main topic this week is really interesting because I, I noticed there were some people in the community asking about, hey, do I need an antivirus for Linux? There's lots of new people coming into Linux every single day. Obviously, with the excitement that Steam Deck brought to the gaming market, the uh, excitement of how Windows continues to make itself worse and worse with every version, we've got a lot of new people who want to try Linux for the first time. And it made me think back to my 30 days of Linux journey, back when I first started Linux for the first time, I remember thinking, and I found a box here that is so outdated, it's for Android 4.4 plus, right? So this is the last time that I bought an antivirus software was Malwarebytes. And I remember coming into Linux going, okay, I've got everything set up. What antivirus do I install and use? Like this was completely confusing to me because every other time, if you buy a Windows machine, you buy a Mac machine. If you're at the store, the people are going to be like, okay, let's put an antivirus on this right away. Like that's your first step of protection. But nobody was recommending that in the Linux community. Nobody was telling me to install yeah. an antivirus. This doesn't make any sense. What do you mean yeah. we don't need an antivirus? I don't you would, need you would, Not only would you not hear, you would people wouldn't be recommending it. You would also hear people saying that you just don't need one. You know, that's a very common thing that you'd have for many, you know, many years. And, and we're, we're going to ask the question, can Linux get viruses? And do you need to get an antivirus now? Has it changed? Will it change? What are the answers? Yes, because <laughs> every week you're reading about vulnerabilities, attacks, and Linux is growing as a platform. It's everywhere. Servers, IoT devices, which obviously have a lot of security potential holes in them, and just our regular desktop computers all of these things create potential attack vectors. So should we, and it's not like we don't have antivirus programs in Linux, we do, should regular users be installing them? Because you don't hear about it. We don't talk about it on this podcast about people installing it. You don't hear it in the Linux community very often. So let's start with that question of what makes Linux secure enough that we're just now talking about this like six years later of, again, should we have, because obviously there's something different in there. And so, Michael, the package system for Linux mm -hmm. is a little bit different than you yes. get from Mac OS and Windows. So maybe we should a start A little there. bit different. So the, the package system is a good way to start because it allows you to, to get kind of like a curated experience. So some of the packages, in a, depending on what distro you use, are going to be done by the distro themselves. And they're going, to main, they're going to compile it and maintain it and publish the updates for you. And they oftentimes have automated systems to make sure that they that they catch stuff that might be added. And also you have to request to get access to the repo in the first place, which means it's a very, very high likelihood that it's gonna be a clean experience for the most part. Now, it's not gonna say that there aren't gonna be bugs and there's not gonna be breaks and that sort of stuff, but that's not really what we're talking about. We're talking about stuff that's, you know, malicious, malicious. You know, that, that kind of thing, yeah. So in that sense, the package management system allows the the distro to maintainers to control 
the accessibility for the users. So that's kind of like a nice curated system, which means that if you're just using the pet, the system's package management for your apps, you're very, very unlikely to get in, hit by any kind of virus. Now, when you venture out into other things like other formats or just randomly downloading from a website, then you're introducing the more possibilities. But the package management system that we have through like apt for Debian based systems or RPM for Fedora and Red Hat type systems and things like that, where you have like uh, OpenSUSE has their own approach to it and Arch even has their own approach. And these sorts of situ situations allows you to have a curated experience that you don't really have to worry about. But if you compare this to Windows or even Mac, I would say Mac probably has a better store experience, but this is a place actually Linux is far ahead of the competition in my yeah. opinion, because Windows Store is a disaster. A disaster, yeah. Uh, Windows Store is full of, and has been historically full of malicious software, software pretending it's a piece of software that it's actually not, and the rules just seem oh, yeah. to be wild, wild west for it. And if you look at Mac Store, it's just very limited in what options it has because it's so overly curated. But the other thing in the package management system that makes Linux very pop popular is that the majority of, if not all of the software is open source, which depending on the distro that you use. So that means that people can actually look into the code. So just being open source by itself, if I release a malicious package and it's not open source, somebody has to decide to go and reverse engineer that to see if there's something malicious in it. And they might not even have access to see some of those pieces, even if they reverse engineer it fully. Whereas open source, you're saying, here's all my code, go look at it. And that allows you to have a lot more control I do want to say, though, mm -hmm. for Arch, you mentioned specifically, there are user repositories in which you have a little more danger yes. lurking yeah. there. Not because it's not necessarily open source. Many of the packages, most of the packaging is, but because it's users that are responsible for that alone. There's no company yeah. intervention there at all. There's no Arch. curation. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Arch is basically just saying, hey, if users want to package something so that others can download it. You can do it here. AUR is amazing. It's powerful. But that's why you want to utilize something that you're if you're utilizing the AUR, you want to be able to actually look at the code and the steps before you go just installing things randomly in the AUR because it puts you yeah. at a little bit of a disadvantage. Now, again, in Windows, what are you going to do? Likely get your software, you're going to go on the Internet. And how many times have we seen sites that get spoofed on the internet? Yeah. Or even if they're not spoofed, someone actually gets the main site and changes out the download file on there to something that's malicious and all those things. So that's why there's just a lot more instances of that happening in that world. But there's more to it than that. Because once you download that software, Linux is also different in how its user permissions are set up, which offers some protection. Yeah, exactly, Ryan. And yeah, because Linux is compartmentalized, um, it has a great system, honestly, of checks and balances in place that help stop malware and viruses from spreading in the OS. For instance, with the user permission system, software doesn't just doesn't install on its own without the proper permission being given, which makes it much more difficult to run behind the scenes software installs and malicious source code. <laughs> yeah, right. Like Windows has like drive-by infections and stuff where you can yeah. just you click something accidentally all of a sudden it's infected. Whereas yeah. with Linux when you install you can download a virus and it won't have permissions to run. And then if you mm -hmm. never run it, it won't infect you even though it's yeah. on your system. And that's that's not a thing that Windows people can typically say. <laughs> yeah. 
Absolutely. Correct. <laughs> you mentioned the file system. You know, the files are separated from system files, and you have to have administrative rights, your system files and user files, and you have to have administrative rights to make changes in there. So that's a protection. But tools like AppArmor and SE Linux, which also restrict app access. So these tools, within a lot of distros, will stop this code, mm -hmm. even if it's trying to access things. It's mm -hmm. not going to give it, you know, car blanc check to go wherever it wants and access mics and cameras and everything else. It's going to restrict that, which is why sometimes if you install certain packages like a flat pack, for instance, and it doesn't have immediate access to everything on your system right away, like for mm -hmm. your file system, it'll just have right. access to a certain directory or different things. So these are ways that these tools are utilized to basically keep a piece of software from just having the ability to change anything at once, which you don't see on Windows, for instance. Mm -hmm. Yeah, for sure. And also I think that the the separation of the file system and the, and the server and the, the, the root system and the user system is very good because it means that you're also you're organizing stuff better too. So you have your stuff in a separate folder. You don't have to worry about mixing and matching, which in other systems happens quite a bit. Uh, but also the SE Linux thing, there's times where we've had like uh, vulnerabilities that are announced that SE Linux itself was the solution. If you had that installed, it would take care of it. And Appermer in a similar way, sometimes where they'll just take care of the thing, even though you could still be infected or affected by this vulnerability, the these systems are able to kind of negate it for you in certain cases, which is one of the reasons why if you have a system that doesn't have one of those things, hopefully, you know, consider getting one that, that supports at least one of either AppArmor or SE Linux. Security focused development is also a very important piece for mm. the Linux ecosystem because yeah. Linux and stuff made for Linux is developed with security as a, a forefront to the process. And they also do development in open and transparency. So if there are issues that need to be addressed, people can see it as it's being made and fix it on the fly. So this allows security experts to kind of like audit the system and fix vulnerabilities and all that sort of stuff, both in the operating system and in other projects and, you know, applications that are you're using. Yeah. And there's also more awareness in the community. Yeah, yeah absolutely. That's point. More awareness in the community because for me, one of the, the big draws to Linux, and we hear this a lot, is the fact that it's it's a constant learning experience. Like there's so much to learn in Linux. And I've been in Linux like five, six years now, and I still feel like I'm brand new in there. Like there's always somebody mentioning yeah. something. I have no idea what they're talking about. And I have to go look it up and figure it out and see if it's something I like or need. Or, and that's kind of the exciting thing about Linux. But I thought I knew operating systems. I've said this on prior shows before because I worked in IT and Windows environments and things. And then I came to Linux and realized I knew nothing about operating systems, really how these things get built and how everything interoperates. And that's what Linux teaches you. So people who get into the Linux community, I think in yeah. general, have more knowledge of security and privacy on that factor alone, just kind of understanding how things work. You can't totally rely on that 100% because not every user goes into Linux with the idea they want to learn it. They just want to use it as a tool. I get that, yeah. but I think just in general, we have more people who are security conscious in the community yeah. just because Abs it's a fun thing. Yeah, absolutely, Ryan. And I know from experience that companies often hire hackers and security experts like Bo Weaver, who we've had on the show several times. Yep. Um, they hire um, experts like him to work on Linux because they understand the points of penetration of abusive code in the operating system and understand how to prevent it. <laughs> 
Mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so that's really exciting, right? Linux is really secure. But Michael, you asked the question, elephant in the room, is Linux immune to viruses and malware? The answer to that is no, it's not none. No. Nothing is immune to viruses and malware. Wasn't there a distro that claimed that though? Like remember they had on their page, I'm not gonna name the distro, but they had on their I think page hundred percent immune yeah. to viruses. Yeah. 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 It, it, but it would be that they said I think it was hundred percent immune to Windows viruses. Oh, maybe but, that's how they But the, the thing that was funny about that is because even that was not true. Because I'm not going to name which mm. one it was, but I remember distinctively that distro had Wine installed, which means that it's no longer 100%, you know, you, if yeah. you can install, if you could run Windows applications, you can also run Windows viruses. So even that statement itself was like absurd, but then they they negated the only one that could possibly have been true as like, it's a different OS. So you could have argued that it didn't, it was invulnerable to those particulars and then they made it vulnerable anyway. But this is something that's funny because if you if it can execute code, it's possible to have the ability to be you know maliciously attacked. So there's no such thing as immune. But Linux is more likely to be secure because of all the things we mentioned previously. So that's right. why a lot of the times you wouldn't have a virus or antivirus suggestion because you'd be running as an antivirus to use resources of your system, and most of the time it's not necessary. So you're saying I don't need to renew my malware bite subscription here, Michael? <laughs> <From> years ago? <laughs> no. yeah. yeah. Oh, man. You probably don't. Now, I can't guarantee you 100% that you should not ever have this. But at the moment, the way that the Linux system works is that you have these other pieces that are kind of making it unnecessary. So it's not really like a thing that you have to worry about because on Windows systems, the antiviruses are trying to catch when things get into your system. But with Linux, even if those things get on your system, they're not going to run, so they can't do anything. Yeah. You have to manually activate them to make them work. Now, if, a, if the individual user downloads a virus and installs the virus and all of that, and you don't get the benefits of the system, then it, you're going to be infected. And an antivirus in those cases might be something to consider. In cases where this could happen is going into, like, you have certain scripts you find on GitHub and things that you execute as a bash script. For instance, like the .sh files sure. and things, if you just sure. randomly downloading code like that and if installing you got, it. If you downloaded Michael mm-hmm. AI from GitHub, I mean. No, yeah. that's perfectly <laughs> secure and safe. In fact, you have Michael <laughs> protecting your computer. It's brilliant. Sure. It's like a, a second brain in there. Um, but you yeah. don't want to treat it like an impenetrable fortress where you just go downloading everything and trying stuff because it can be compromised. Like Linux is, there is no such thing as an operating system that can't, even yeah. Chrome OS where they act like it's impossible for anything to ever hit it. There's nothing that's impossible if it's software mm-hmm. to be uh, compromised. It's just far less likely because Chrome OS kind of relies a little bit on Linux kernel, but it's far less likely Completely. for that to, to happen there. And so it's one of those things where I wouldn't go around like daring a hacker like Bo Weaver to break into your Linux system. Mm-hmm. He, he probably would find a way eventually. Uh, at the same time, where there's use, a will, there's a yeah, there's yeah. a way. <laughs> if you use some basic precautions, right? You're not installing a billion extensions in your Firefox browser, for instance, because we talked about Linux. But if you got other software, if you're not installing a thousand extensions in your IDE, you know those extensions mm-hmm. in your IDEs can. Help I love extensions, by the way, Ryan. Them. I have lots. I know. <laughs> we know. I've made you get rid of lots too. Uh, I still have lots left, but yeah, yes. that could introduce <laughs> different kinds of 
um, vulnerabilities as well. It's yes. not just a virus or malware. It may be something that's just collecting data or turning on your camera, for instance, and things like that. Yeah. Yeah. So if you have a lot but, of extensions, just cut them in half if you don't need them. Just cut them in half. Yeah. And then you exactly. get, you, you've already, you've eliminated a lot of attack surface right there. Yeah. Well, let's just, just, just face it. Anytime you are on the internet or on an intranet, you are vulnerable, no matter what OS you're using. It's just that, that Linux does have these, you know, checks and balances in, in place. And also, it was built as kind of the infrastructure OS for server side, uh, for IoT, you know, for the cloud, for the internet. And, you know, that's, that's one of its strengths because it was built for that in mind and then, and then the desktop came later. Yes. Because yeah. servers are going to be a very big target and they, it was built so that it would be taking in consideration that it would be a target. Yeah. That's why it's there's a lot of effort put into security to make sure that it is as 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 good as it can be with the involvement of the developers who are currently working on it and that sort of stuff. I like you brought up that point because I've heard this dumb argument that's like, of course Linux isn't targeted. It's such a small part of the PC community. <laughs> and I'm yeah. like, okay, that's ridiculous. We control the world. <laughs> Literally the biggest targets that you could possibly want to go after are running Linux and their infrastructure, which is the business servers. And yes. things that, that, you know, go versus going for somebody's personal computer yeah. is generally, you know, one of those things where they're just picking random names off of a blacklist or something where they've picked you out specifically. But if you're in a real government organized or non-government organized hacking organization, the businesses are where, where they really want to get as targets. And that makes Linux the biggest target I think yeah. out there for somebody to try to compromise. Exactly. Yeah. And so it's the it, most used operating system in the world. And it is the biggest target target, but because it is built with that modularity and the system of checks and balances, it it keeps the infrastructure secure and it's 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 amazing. We should actually have a lot more viruses on Linux, but we don't. <laughs> Yeah, and we do have some, just for those who are curious. Are yeah. there, yes, there are all vulnerabilities at times. There's our viruses yeah. at times. There's worms at times. Like, this does happen. It's just very rare. And that's why you see articles published. There are huge news. Linux virus yeah. has happened. It's so huge. Because it happens so rarely that so it's rarely. news. Whereas when Windows, it's another Tuesday. Yeah. That's it. <laughs> yeah. So... And <laughs> yeah, and it's so true, Michael. And many of the worms out there, like the recent IoT-based Linux uh, .yfatch, it's spread because of outdated software and firmware. Oh, if, updating if, your system, Michael? Yes, hmm. updates, updates, updates. I don't understand that's what the, this word means. That's, that's the so solution. We tell people to constantly make sure they're running their updates. There's a reason yes. for that. Yeah. Everyone should update your system and make sure you have the latest and greatest software that has the most fixes and patches and all of that stuff. Yes. Do what I say, not what I do. <laughs> Jill, how do we know Michael doesn't have worms? We're about to see him in scale. Yeah. He could have worms, you know? He's just I'll leave my I'll leave this computer behind. How about that? Thank you. Well, okay, perfect. For fortunately, because because there's SC Linux in the background, it didn't I do have that. You couldn't That's spread true. it. Yeah. All right. I do have SC Linux, so we're good. You know, at least at least I have some protections in the system. 
But so, also to be serious, like there are, I, I do update, not as much as I should, but I do update. But yeah. they, to be serious, there are many benefits to it uh, in the way that Linux is built. So you don't have to worry about it. And we were talking about the server thing. I just wanted to like reiterate something. Desktop computing is dominated by Windows. That's true. Linux is not the dominant force. But now every other form of computing, Linux is the dominant force. So let's just, you know, that there, it's going to be a huge target. And I also thought about something as we were talking about it, that, that there might be, everybody talks about how fragmentation is a problem in Linux. And uh, it might even be like a superpower in a way. Because if you is. think about it, each distro is a separate operating system. They have separate configurations and separate things. So it makes it even harder to target Linux as a specific because you're targeting dozens of different operating systems that are unique in many ways. So yeah. it creates this cohesive in ecosystem where we all collaborate together, but at the same time, we're also sort of creating barriers against these kinds of attacks. You've got though. the most yeah. brilliant minds in the industry looking through code, trying to find vulnerabilities and things in there. Like you're not going to find that anywhere else all around the world, 24 hours a day, seven days a week. You got people mm -hmm. in there looking, but again, this doesn't mean you can be stupid with your computer. One of our patrons mentioned, for instance, and, and this is absolutely true. One of the biggest problems facing businesses today is phishing attempts. Mm. You know, in a phishing attempt, if somebody is, and because there's so many data leaks, by the way, when we talk about metadata and those things, not to get on a soapbox, but I will for just one second. When we talk about why metadata and gathering data on people is a problem and other people are like, oh, it's fine, whatever. Everybody knows everything about me anyways. What's happened is the attacks have become for phishing so much more sophisticated because just like Google takes all of your information, collects it all together and creates a profile on you, the hackers are now smart enough to do that as well. So these organizations are taking data leaks that have happened over the last 10 years. They're combining all of that information. So when they're sending me an email to try to fish attempt, it has my full name. It has my address. It has the actual bank that I use. It has all of this stuff that makes it look so legitimate. That it has the name of your up. first grade teacher. So weird. Probably. Probably does, <laughs> uh, but that's that's the point. Is phishing attempts are a big thing, and and Linux security, all of that. It really starts with the user at the end of the day. Know what you're installing. Yeah. If you're going to use the AUR, it's amazing, but understand the AUR and the limitations and things of it. If you're an Arch user, for instance, or if you do find scripts sitting out there on GitHub, don't just be like, "Oh, it's a cool script. Let me run it." Like, look through the code, see if there's something there. Funny enough, some of the the pieces of software that have been found to be like crypto miners and stuff actually had in the code a section commented crypto mining section or something that was so obvious. Mm -hmm. so even if you don't read code, it's like, wait a minute, I'm installing a web browser extension as code that says. And also some mining. of the crypto miners are actually like the, the, they're called or named crypto miners. Even if you don't look at the comments, they like they still give you an indicator like you don't want this. Sure. Right, exactly. Yeah. But so you got to be smart as a user. <laughs> exactly. There's one thing. But I also had a question that was, that was asked to me of like antiviruses. And it was an interesting one because I never thought about it. It was, what if I want to get an antivirus just because it makes me feel better? Just to know it's there. And I thought, sure, why not? Go ahead. Do it. Clam There's AB. No, yeah, yeah, Clam go AB ahead. is great. So for those who are wanting to know if, if like, do you need one? No. But if you use one, it'll be fine. So feel free to do it if you want to. Yeah. And you and you could give the Windows user could give the Linux user uh, a flash drive and and we can scan it on Clam AV. Now that vi those viruses won't hurt our system, but at least we can prevent them from affecting yours. 
Oh, that's also that's a very good point. It also you <laughs> might really want to have an antivirus if you're connected to a network that has Windows, Windows. machines attached yeah. to it. Yes. yes, there might be a value in there because you the antivirus wouldn't be for you. It would be for whoever's using the Windows thing. So if mm-hmm. you're at a company that has the mixed operating systems, you might want to do it just to protect the other weaker system. <laughs> The other weaker system. That's what <laughs> Bo Weaver used to say. He always keeps a Windows yes. computer in his house so he can attack it. And I love yeah. that thought. He's a professional hacker. <laughs> All right. So another way to stay secure is to use Bitwarden. We've been talking about Bitwarden for a long time on this show. And if you haven't converted yet, what's your problem? It's the greatest password manager what's on the your planet. Problem? What's your <laughs> problem? Go to bitwarden.com slash tux right now. Fix it slash T-U-X because... You may not need antivirus software, but you definitely need a good password manager. Yes. Password manager software allows you to have peace of mind knowing your online accounts are secure, and Bitwarden provides you the tools to store all your passwords in a secured vault, auto-generate those passwords and usernames for you, even automatically fill them in if you want to, so you don't have to. You can access your data across many types of devices. You can use your web browser, mobile apps, desktop applications, even the command line. Bitwarden seals and encrypts your private data with end-to-end encryption before it ever leaves your device so you know you're the only person with access to your data. So I want you to go right now to bitwarden.com slash TUX and get started. And you can get started for free. And you can use all kinds of amazing benefits with Bitwarden for free. It's not one of those things where you just sign up and you get nothing. You can use all of their amazing services to secure and start creating and generating passwords for sites for free. But you're going to love it so much, you're going to want to give them... $10 a year for their premium account because you're going to add in a gigabyte encrypted file storage. Yeah, you're just going to want to keep giving them money because <laughs> it's so good. Gigabyte of encrypted file storage, two-step login with YubiKey, U2F Duo, Vault Health Reports, Bitwarden Authenticator. So you got TOTP. Use that instead of the SMS messaging. Another way to stay more secure. Priority customer support for less than a dollar per month. I mean, why w- wouldn't you? That's cheaper now than a McDonald's value meal. And McDonald's isn't saving you. It's killing you. Whereas Bitwarden's saving you. So bitwarden.com slash T-U-X to get started. Thanks again, Bitwarden, for sponsoring this episode of Destination Linux. All right, so there's this news this week, and Michael, I don't, and Jill, I don't know how to feel about this. Like, I got mad at it at first, and I was like, whatever, I don't care. And I was like, maybe it makes sense, yeah. and I got mad I'm again. offended, and then I didn't really, it's like, it's not a big deal. And then I'm also like, you know, uh, it's, yeah, it's, yeah it's, up, down, up, down. I'm all <laughs> over the coaster. place with this, so maybe you yeah. can help sort it out for me. Sure. Canonical recently published some information on their discourse relating to the future of Ubuntu flavor packaging defaults. In this article, I did take a couple of quotes that are a little out of place, so I'm going to say that up front, but it kind of cracked me up because I didn't do that on purpose. I was just kind of grabbing quotes from the article. And when you read the quotes in the position that I grabbed them, the whole thing seems to be uh, completely contradict each other here. So the first part says in this article, flavors build around a common core experience where it is immediately clear that you're using Ubuntu and provide their own finesse on top. Then they go on to say, again, this is a little couple paragraphs down, Ubuntu builds on a foundation of dev packages and believes in the advantages of snaps and also believes in the culture of openness where other packaging technologies are available and allow developers and users to explore different approaches. That seems good. Like they want us to go out there and explore yes. all these different things. Good. So therefore, flat packs won't be a part of any of the <laughs> yeah. flavors anymore. So <sighs> the thing about Canonical is that they, they are doing this in a way that I don't really feel like is a huge deal. But at the same time, it is weird the way it's worded. 
of, yeah. you know, we, we, they, they believe in the advantages of snaps. Sure. There are some clear advantages of snaps. There's some really cool ideas they have with it, especially with like the command line part of snap. Mm-hmm. Uh, and they also like the, the, the culture of openness, but at the same time, removing flat packs from that culture is kind of weird, but it is worth noting that they didn't really have flat packs installed in a full sense of the concept. You know, when you install flat pack, you're installing a format technology, but you're not actually installing a repo to get those flat packs from. You're only installing the, the technology itself. You still need a repo. So by removing the pre-installed flat pack part of it, you're not really changing much. They still need to go and know what repo, know what a flat pack is, know what repo to use, like the flat hub, and then go manually install the flat hub. So all they're doing is adding an extra step on top of that to install Flatpak itself. So is it a huge change? Not really, but it is. it just seems unnecessary, really. Like, they really still had to do manual interactions, so it doesn't really seem like this news needed to happen to me. I feel like developers yeah. made a choice with Kubuntu, for instance, to say, hey, we think for our community... We're going to have a one-click Flatpak install because maybe a lot of our users are utilizing Flatpak and not Snaps. There's a lot of people out there who don't like Snaps. It's just a thing. And so you still love Ubuntu or Kubuntu in that case, but you want to use Flatpaks instead, and they were making it a one-click easy install, but now they can't even do that. It just seems like, I don't know, it feels Microsoft-y in some ways. Kind of like, <laughs> yeah, you can install Creepy. another browser if you want, but we're going to put a bunch of prompts and things to really kind of force you to try to use our Edge browser as much as possible. It just feels that way. But you're right. Like, that's the arguing back and forth I do, Michael. Like, is it a big deal? Not really, but kind of feels a little scummy. I don't know. It is going to make a little bit more work for the likes of Martin Wimpress with Ubuntu Mate because they they included that function um, to install uh, flat packs easily with twenty two point oh four LTS, mm. and so that that, that is going to be annoying for them and for those uh, flavors that have already integrated it or we're going to integrate it like with Ubuntu Unity. Yeah, it's interesting because these. These, the flat pack being removed is not a huge problem necessarily because you still have to go through the setting up of, of the flat hub. But the Kubuntu experience of doing that was so good. It was so easy to do. It was very convenient for the user. The user experience overall was great because all you did was open, discover, click a button, and you're done. That is what I was hoping to see for all the flavors and eventually Ubuntu itself. But yeah. based on this news, I, I that suggests that's not going to be possible. I, I feel like on the on the other side of it, there's so many advantages to snaps that yeah. Why do you have to force people to use something like you know and try to and say that this is kind of the integrated environment? If it's good enough, if you've done what you're supposed to, everyone would just be using snaps. But snaps are fantastic for server side. But I think right. most people in my circle, I'm not saying this is the general. Uh, answer of the population of Linux users. People in my circle generally prefer flat packs for their desktop software pieces, Audacity, whatever they're using, things like that. If you're doing something server related, you're going to be using a snap because flat packs right. just don't have that capability. So snaps have made a name for themselves doing that. If they made themselves better with the desktop experience apps, then people would probably be fine 
utilizing them, but that's not been the case. So instead of like fixing that, you're kind of just kind of, hey, pretend flat packs don't exist. We're snaps. Everything needs to be a snap, you know, type of thing. I, it just feels it feels weird, but I I can't get super it, mad at it, and I I'm not happy about yeah. it either. So that's where I'm at. I don't know. To me, it feels really just unnecessary. The removal of it. It, it probably wouldn't have been a big deal if like article things weren't talking about it. And if we weren't talking about it in the show, it probably wouldn't have been a big deal. People wouldn't have even noticed it. Yeah. Cause you, cause installing the flat hub, you would probably like assume you don't have flat pack on flat pack on Ubuntu anyway. True. So you would just do that process as well. So it wouldn't really change much of the experience for typical users other than ones who have like an easier access in the specific flavors. But it just, to me, I think the thing that makes me feel weird about it, like I feel at one side of my, my, half of me says, okay, it's not a big deal. Who cares? It's not really that much of a difference for the user. The other half of me is like, well, if it's not a big deal, then it feels unnecessary. Why bother doing it in the first place? You're right. You know? You've convinced yeah. me. I'm mad about it. Yeah. <laughs> I wasn't yeah. even sure I was mad about it. Yeah, but I now, know, I, now <laughs> I am sure. I'm mad about it. <laughs> Angry. Yeah, and, and me per personally, honestly, I always just use uh, the command line flat, flat hub commands. I've, I've never used the GUI for that. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I mean, I wish the flat pack commands were better because they're yeah. so difficult. Yeah. <laughs> you have to if you if you want to type it, good luck because yeah. it's not it's not very straightforward. I know you got to cut and paste. I mean, one of our patrons <laughs> said it well. It's like the point of flavors for them is you get to experience another take on top of the Ubuntu. And, yeah. and, you know, by removing that decision saying, no, now everybody wants to be an official flavor. Okay, so to be really clear on this, though, this doesn't impact other distros like Pop! OS or Mint or things that are not an official Ubuntu flavor. Ubuntu only has this kind of control, if you will, over official Ubuntu flavors to make them change that. So That's I have true. seen people in the community saying, hey, yeah. this is going to impact them, but it's they don't have to make that choice. Yeah, it's, it's all just because it's a derivative of Ubuntu doesn't mean it's affected by this. It's only the official flavors that are sanctioned by o Canonical and Ubuntu itself. And I'd also say that it's not really even a control thing because it's not like this was a decree on high that was passed down to the lowly flavors. It was a request to them and say, do you have a problem with doing this? And they all agreed. So it wasn't, it wasn't like this was like a forcing of it. It was like it was a question that they went to each of the flavor developers and asked them if it was if they were okay with it, and maybe they're not all ecstatic about it, but they were at least all okay with it to do it. To me, I feel like it's an unnecessary thing, but it also isn't a big deal. So at the end of the day, all right, yeah, sure. <laughs> fine, <Whatever. laughs> canonical, quit being that way. So Michael, you actually did talk to some people in the community, developers through different distros and things like that to kind of get their take on this. The general consensus from them, should I be mad or no? Did they answer that question directly? Should Ryan be mad or no? I did not ask them if Ryan should be mad oh, or not, Okay, fortunately. But I did reach out to some of the developers for the Ubuntu Flavors to see what their opinion is. And they were all very similar in the consensus of, they also were fine with the decision, but didn't really, they weren't, they weren't happy about it. It wasn't like they, they understood the perspective of why they wanted to do it. And it kind of makes sense with the idea of one of the comments that was made was on the forum that was a support system, right? If Canonical has something by default, they're expected to provide support with it. 
And in the sense of flat, of flat packs, they would not want to provide that support. So it would make sense that they would remove it for that reason. And it, it, it makes sense, but at the same time, also the repo is not available at, at the first point. So you wouldn't really have to worry about supporting certain types of flat packs or certain specific flat packs. So the, cre- the, f- the flavor developers are basically agreed with that and also thought that it's maybe not necessary anyway. But at the same time, that's kind of how I feel about it. I'm not bothered by it, but I do think it's, it's not a, it was not a necessary thing to do. And that kind of bothers me, but at the same time, it's not a big deal overall. It doesn't change the user experience. If it was a significant change to the impact of the user experience, I'd be bothered by it. But this is not one of those things. You still had to manually install the Flat Hub in most distros or most flavors. So I think people were just going to install, install it anyways because most people in oh, my yeah, it's not gonna stop tend anyone. to enjoy flat pack there but the question is will they take a move to make that more difficult down the road too that is get, that is are we going to get more microsofty here since you know snaps aren't exactly very easy to go create your own snap store and other things and repos- like it's not this whole snap thing hasn't followed the philosophy we want it to follow from the very beginning I'm not saying snaps are bad but it, yeah. they're just they're a little bit uh, of an edge case already in how they're deployed and now we're doing this it's kind of like could you be a little less Microsoft canonical? Thanks. Hey, Jill, cheer me yeah. up with some gaming news. Woohoo, I will, Ryan. So Ryan found, honestly, one of my favorite surreal first-person puzzler games from 2020, Super Liminal. Yes. So this is an awesome game. And uh, uh, the game actually is played from a first-person perspective, and it incorporates gameplay elements around optical illusions that are so cool, and forced perspective. And certain objects, for instance, when when you pick up like a chess piece, um, it can be moved towards or away from the player, but when placed back down, scale to the size as the player had viewed them, enabling you, the player, to solve puzzles to complete the game. It sounds kind of complex, but what, <laughs> now once I'm you confused. get started... Is this a okay, game? I, or I'm going to try to attempt to explain okay. it based on my um, not playing it. However, <laughs> I do own this game, and I have seen the demo, and it was very interesting when that's why I bought yeah. it. I just never played it. But what the idea is that you're, looking, you're using different perspectives. So you look at something from a distance, and it feels... Like a very big thing can mm-hmm. feel small from a distance and vice versa as well. And the idea is it takes this game to do, does those things to solve puzzles. So like you have yeah. a coffee cup in your hand and it is very small, but then you turn at an angle and you can set it down massive so it can like, like hold a big, lo- like a lot of water or whatever. And that's how you could solve one of the puzzles, for example. You know what I like about this? One of my favorite movies, Dead Poets <laughs> Society, when Robin Williams tells the class to stand on their desks to see the world in a different perspective. Oh, yes. It's like yeah. gamifying that very scene right there of seeing exactly. the world from a different oh, point absolutely. of view. Yeah, so you actually, your your character is, you're a participant in a, a like a dream therapy program. But during the study, oh, that's cool. You become trapped in a reoccurring dream cycle. <laughs> that's what is cool, and it it is um, actually cool. guided that's scary. by the voice of, <laughs> of the study's overseer, Doctor Glenn Pierce. 
on how to escape from the dream. And honestly, most uh, most of the puzzles involve traversing through a series of rooms to reach their their exits. It's just a really fun game. It's very mind bending, and that's what I love about it. It kind of has that. Yes. <laughs> it has elements of of some other games we have talked about. Seventeen thousand positive <laughs> reviews, Jill. It's seventeen thousand yes. positive reviews. Positive that's insane. Review. Think of it like the Stanley parable, but almost in reverse. I don't, I don't know how to explain it. Oh, that's and, interesting. Yeah. What and, we're basically saying is that if you, if you, if you, if this find this sound, you sounds interesting. You should, and even if it doesn't, you should just check out the video that, that demonstrates how the game works. Because I think even it, we might not be giving it justice at this point. Yeah. But yeah, it's I hard do to think explain. that the it is a game. really cool idea. It's a yeah. very cool puzzle game idea. It's like when people think about Portal, they don't necessarily think about it being a puzzle game, but it is 100% a Portal game. A Portal is a puzzle game and yes. it's a new take on a puzzle game and it's really fun. And this is a similar style, but with the perspective playing around and it is yeah. definitely mind bending. And, and if you, you know, uh, like the surreal first person puzzlers or games like Portal, uh, and if you've played Antichamber, Cairo, and Mind, Path to Thalamus, which are honestly in the top 10 of my all-time favorite games, you will love this game. It's just a very, think of it as a portal, but even more surreal. <laughs> right. This is the type if of you, game yeah. I would buy, then Forced look on YouTube to see all the solutions and just yeah. make myself feel smart. That's not by just fun. doing whatever <laughs> they do, and then like I got it first time. Look at that. Yeah, it's, it's <laughs> and uh, it's it's awesome because Superliminal works on our penguins out of the box, and the developer oh, actually Pillow Castle originally re released an early access demo of the game where the community had input on how to improve it and fix fix bugs. So they've been really concerned and about the community and they've really liked all the feedback from the Linux users. Yeah. And it works beautifully on the Steam Deck. Even though I don't recommend Steam Deck for first person <laughs> puzzlers. Oh yes, that's true. That's for sure. <laughs> but it that does is, work well. That's a little freaky for yeah. sure. But I will say that uh, Ryan, I'm an, I have this game already and I'm mm -hmm. going to play it and record my, my experience and cool. show you how and to solve show. the things and I'll just title it Helping Ryan play subliminal. Perfect. There we I'll go. finally watch one of your videos. Right, super liminal. Oh wait, what? What? Super liminal. Oh, no, never mind. You, Sorry about would, it's no, it's fifty percent off until Monday at nine dollars and ninety nine cents in the Steam store. Yes. So hopefully yeah. you get it in in time for the to sale. If not, it's still worth it. It's yeah, still a really it's cool. It's still game. you know under twenty bucks. Super <laughs> liminal. <laughs> I said the wrong name earlier, so I just want to clarify. <laughs> super liminal. All right, in our software spotlight. Hey, if you're frustrated with this kind of force snap thing going on, try Unsnap. That's our software spotlight this week. Quickly migrate from using snap packages to flat packs. Quickly and easily migrate from using snap for applications to flat pack. It runs as a two stage process. It unsnaps itself, generates the script to do the actual migration. And this enables users to view or edit the scripts prior to execution, which we talked about the importance of that in the security side. But if you want to take all those snaps that Canonical wants you to use and you want to make them all the flat pack version, you could use Popey's very own unsnap tool. And I just thought, what a great software spotlight perfect for this time. episode. Yeah, perfect. Yes. <laughs> so the idea for those who are curious, basically it finds snaps that you have installed, sees there's, there's flat packs for those snaps as like alternative, and then switches to those flat packs. 
That's that's the gist of it. Love it. And uh, this is, I think this is a, a good uh, spotlight. And also I think it flows really well with the tip of the week, don't you think? Yeah, oh, yes. absolutely. So the tip of the week this week is how to install Flatpak inside of Ubuntu. <laughs> <laughs> We're not bitter. We're not a bitter yes. podcast. <laughs> we're not bitter at all. We just found this funny. So that's why we're doing it. So our tip of the week is installing flat packs on Ubuntu. And it's really simple. It's just apt sudo apt install flat pack. That's it. And then you would need to get the, the GNOME software plugin as well. We'll have all this stuff in the show notes. And then you'll need to install the flat hub repository. Now, this one's a weird one and it's very difficult to say out loud to actually, you know, comprehend audibly. So just check out the show notes because it's a very long, uh, it's a long one with lots of parameters. So go to the show notes. We'll have that linked and, and all the details for that in there. Uh, and also you can go to flatpack.org slash setup slash Ubuntu, and you can follow the steps there as well. But of course you want to go to the show notes because that's where the most yeah. useful information is the for every episode yeah. of Destination Linux. <laughs> super, super liminal useful. Super yes, limit. it's super out, liminal. Out you can also go to the Flat Hub on, online too. They have a really good uh, tutorial. Yeah. <laughs> so if you if you if you're annoyed by not having flat packs, now you know how to get it back. Even though go. technically it hasn't happened yet because it won't be until the next release. But you know, and probably whatever. if you were annoyed by it, you already know how to do that. It's just funny. yeah. <laughs> yes. But, <laughs> we just right. found it funny, but for the timing, that's all. Do you imagine being able to hang out with this crew like live? You can. If it would you come be the best scale. time ever of your life. Yes, the best time of your life. You want the best experience you've ever had. I don't care if you've had kids born. Yeah, whatever. Meet us. That will trump exactly. everything in your life. You married the perfect <laughs> you know, spouse of your dreams. Still second to meeting us. Everything yes. is second to meeting us. You got the, you got, you got the best. You, you, anything you can imagine as being a great time of your life, it's not going to, it's pales in comparison to meeting us at scale. Yeah, we are so true. confident in our ridiculous arrogance that we're gonna- <laughs> <laughs> That we're gonna Aww. give you 50% off your ticket. We're so exactly. confident you, in our yes. ridiculous arrogance. We're gonna make it even better. The best time of your life will be even better somehow because of that 50% discount. And all you gotta do is use the, the coupon code TUX. That's T-U-X, so simple. You get. You can enjoy it even more yep. than what we Saving we've money said. makes you enjoy things more. You go scale registration, type in Tux in the promo code, get 50% off your Tux Pass. And they're always looking for volunteers, so make sure to check yeah. out there if you can volunteer and help them out. We'll have links to that in the show notes. And we also received a generous donation from Anonymous uh, user at Tux Digital Net and Destination Links Podcast. Mm -hmm. uh, it was made on behalf of us, which yes. we really appreciate, um, to cover small batch of tickets for students and those who recently lost their jobs. So finances are tough. You need help with your scale ticket. DM info at SoCalLinuxExpo.org. I finally read it <laughs> right. Instead of saying social, it's just so close. Uh, SoCalLinuxExpo.org there to get started. Yeah, and, and make sure to check out something special that we wanted everyone to know that's happening at Scale. So on Sunday at Scale, there is an event called Open Source Career Day, which our friend Der Hans is organizing. And OSCD will feature career consulting sessions, resume reviews, career guidance, and mock interviews, and a full day of awesome talks on Sunday, March 12th, 2023. And if you can't be there for the event. You can always watch the videos later on the SoCal Linux Expo uh, YouTube site. 
Very cool. And also for those who are curious, the mock interviews are for ways that you can basically be interviewed to, to kind of get used to being the, given the interview experience. It's not yeah. where we interview Ryan and just mock him all the time. <laughs> oh, darn it. Point, it's not that part. Oh, Even though that would be amazing mocking. and it would be great content, Every that's time not I what answer, it's about. everyone that mocks be, how stupid the answer was. Yeah. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> that would be a mocking interview to, as opposed to oh, a mock oh, interview. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Exactly. Exactly. <laughs> We should do a roast of Michael at at the yeah. Uh, what? There we go. Yeah. That's not. That's I, I. I was already setting up. I, I set you up with just a great change. Just gave it like, to me. You pivoted so well. I applaud you there, sir. Well, a huge thank you to each and every one of you for supporting us by watching or listening to Destination Linux. However you do it, we love your faces. Join us on Discord at tuxdigital.com/discord, and also we have an amazing discourse forum that you can go hang out with the community as well. And if you want to watch the show live, well, you need to become a patron because we have a bunch of patrons here with us right now. We're live on Sundays doing this recording, but only for the patrons there. So consider becoming a patron, watching the show live and seeing all the antics. It's the second all best the thing to coming to scale and seeing yes. us live in yes. person is to virtually <laughs> see us. Yes, the best time of your life is meeting us at scale. The second best time of your life is also not the thing you were thinking was. It's being here every week and hanging yes. out with us. Absolutely. And you get to sing it yeah. live because also at the end of the show every week, you get to hang out with us in the patron-only post-show, and you get to have that experience, the second best experience of your life every time we have a show. like. I, it, 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 ne it can never ends. It's just such a great experience. And you can become a patron by going to tuxdigital.com slash contribute. And just in case you miss the live stream, that's okay because as a patron, you get access to unedited versions of the show. We're giving so you too get much, to see, Michael. Mm -hmm. It's too much. I, yeah, it, it might be too much, <laughs> but we're gonna do it anyway. So tuxdigital.com/slash/contribute to become a patron to get all of these great perks. Oh, too much perks, in fact, as Ryan mentioned. Too much. And to even make it better than that, you're gonna get more perks. You're gonna become. Yeah. A patron of not just Destination, Destination Linux, the best podcast ever created, what? the and, and the best experience, but you're also going to get the best network ever created, which is Tux Digital Network. So you're going to be a, a patron of the network itself. So you get access to This Week in Linux perks, Destination Linux perks, Hardware Addicts perks, so much more. So tuxdigital.com slash contribute. Now, let's say you, you're missing some clothes in your wardrobe. Maybe you don't have some some swag related to destination links, and that's a shame. Let's let's just admit it. That'd be a shame, shame to not have that. In, yeah. or not having it in your in your closet would be a problem. So, we should you should go to tuxdigital.com/store and pick up you know a hat, maybe a t-shirt or a hoodie. Mm -hmm. You could even put some mugs in your kitchen so you could have some swag all around your place. And if you don't have that much room for all the different mugs, and maybe you get some stickers and put that wherever you want, yeah, and they go everywhere. Wallpaper entire house with stickers of destiny. Exactly, Linux. you could have yeah, an entire. Like you I could have. have a wall. <laughs> exactly, you could basically take take Jill's uh, cabinet <laughs> and do that same thing on your wall and have like yeah. an accent wall of just stickers of the Tux Digital Network. What could? What else could you ask for? That would be your third best time of your life of setting <laughs> that up. <laughs> and you need so some, some gear to wear at scale. <laughs> yes, exactly. Yeah. That's, that is that is definitely a useful thing to do. So if you yeah. if you're going to be at scale and you want to show us the best time of our lives, yeah, you need to have some swag for <laughs> yes. Destination Linux. Go to tuxdigital.com/store to get your swag right now. 
<laughs> and make sure to check out all the incredible shows here on Text Digital. We have so many awesome ones. We have This Week in Linux, The Pseudo Show, The DOS Geek Channel, Linux Out Loud, Hardware Addicts, GameSphere, and our virtual Linux user group, Linux Saloon. And everyone head to textdigital.com and subscribe to all these great shows. And don't forget to leave a rating on your favorite app so others can discover the power of open source and keep those penguins marching and the full Monty of Linux and open source awesome sauce. Everybody have a great week. And remember that the journey itself is just as important as the destination. Thanks, everyone. Aww, we love you. And the journey to scale is happening soon. Yes. <laughs>